All right, good morning. Hey, Ron, Jeff, good to see you guys on here. Appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll wait just a few minutes for a few more people, and then I'll get started. Hey, Barbara, Brian. Everybody gets on here first, they get their names called out. <laughs> There's Gary Matthews. Hi, Gary. Appreciate all your comments you make on my posts and enjoy your posts too. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and start. Uh, I'm uh, sorry I didn't minister last week. I was telling Kay, I said I, I was pretty tired. I've been writing a lot and I got up that morning and started going over things or that evening actually and it just, it just wasn't there. And when I'm not there, it's best not to teach. So I had a lot to do. This week I finished writing three chapters for uh, the third book on no penal substitution. I did the final one last night, so I'm done with that. We got to get it edited by Carol Madden. She's editing it for me, and then we'll get it uploaded and let everybody know when it's ready. Hi, Karen Boyd Klein. Good to see you on here. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, Donna can tell you this. We've talked about this many times in my life. Uh, I've always taught series, and it's, it's invariably anytime there's a situation going on in the world, or in our church, in our lives, or whatever, I end up to a certain chapter, and it's just for that day. It's, you, would, you would think that I prepared it for that. And so this series, this, what I'm teaching here, Kay taught it back in 2015, and so I'm teaching it now, writing it, and doing all the updates on everything, and it just so happens what we're going to be teaching on today is in the last, uh, the last days. I titled it, In the Last Days. And... Uh, a lot of people think it's the last days. I'm six. I'm start to say 65. I'm 69. I'll be 70 in uh, May, and most of my life, I almost every year, there's something happened that religiosity got up with their voice and began to declare it's the last days, and it's been going on for generation after generation. And so we want to really get into the truth. I have a lot to share today. This may go a little long, I'm not sure. I'll, if I feel like I need to quit, I'll quit. Hey, Daryl Manning. Uh, but if, not, if it gets too long for you, you can come back and watch it later on. But you know, for a number of years, uh, uh, I, and I know Kay, and I'm sure other ministers too, but have really been seeking for more truth. I was never one that just got happy with what I knew. I always knew that there was more, and Donna was that way too. We always wanted more. We wasn't happy with just uh, status quo, come to church, sing three or four songs, you know, hear a sermon that made you real excited, but leaving and never really learning anything. And we wanted to learn. So uh, there's, there's something been working on, working inside of us. And we started seeking first, uh, I started seeking the accurate translations back in 1988 to 96. I just be, as, as much as I studied, I began to see that there were some discrepancies in the word and how things were written. So I first started seeking the accurate translations, and then I began to, I got to the place where the Father began to speak to me that we needed to learn how to live out of our spirit. And lo and behold, about a month later, after I told the church to start praying that we would learn that, Kay Fairchild taught this, uh, the series Living Out of Our Spiritual Resources. And from that, uh, the revelation just keeps getting higher and higher and higher to the point that we really have learned how to listen to the voice of spirit within inside of us. And it brings us higher and higher and higher. Uh, I'm writing a book with Butch Hodge called Our Voice, Our, Our Holy Voice Leads Us Higher, or you could say Grace Leads Us Higher. And so 
definitely Paul knew what he was talking about when he told us we needed to lean to our spirit because unless you're listening to your spirit, you're listening to the voice of spirit, the holy breath of God in you, you're not, you're not going higher because Paul said to be currently mindful is death. And lo and behold, we didn't realize that we were sitting in church feeding on a lot of carnal information that just wasn't necessarily true. And so I believe the more we seek the Father, the more we listen, the more we pay attention, uh, it continues to bring us higher. When I mean it, I, I put capital in my book here, it, it, the letter capitals, is because it's the very voice of God that brings us higher and higher and higher. So what's evident to us is that people who are not involved in religiosity. It's hard to believe in America that there's not people that are, there are people that are not involved, but there are, but they still hear it by osmosis. But the people that are not involved are the ones that really embrace this. But people who are uh, involved in various religions, it's very hard for them to embrace the idea that God never needed a sacrifice, that God never needed appeasement, that God was never mad at us or never angry with us. And the fact is, to the degree a person is caught up in religiosity, is the degree that they the degree that they will continue to have problems with the truth that makes you free, because it just goes against everything that they were taught. So for a long time, uh, we've studied a subject that religious-minded people, uh, and Kay said this, and I believe it too, they're too lazy to study, they're too lazy to study the real history of the historical books of the Bible. We just want to take them for the way they are, and we really don't want to see what was going on back then and, and various things like that. So there, there, there actually, there's no uh, word testament in the, in the uh, historical books. You know, we always say New Testament, Old Testament, and there is no uh, word testament in the historical part of the Bible. It's literally just uh, historical. And then in the New, you, you see the word testament in Matthew, Luke, Corinthians, Hebrews, Revelation, and that's it. And so I looked up the word testament, and it actually means outlook and disposition. So there was an old outlook and an old disposition that people had before Jesus came to reveal the truth. And then after Jesus came, if we embrace the truth that Jesus came to reveal, we have a new outlook and a new disposition, and that's the newness of life that we've always had. So if you're not doing any reading yourself outside of your religious organizations, if you're not really studying history and studying different things, then I, I, then I say it's very hard because you've been grounded in your denominational teachings, and that is what formed your outlook. You know, it's not hard to look around and see the various denominations and people that have been involved in that all their life. They all have the same outlook, right? And if you're in a church that's always preaching gloom, doom, and despair, and end of the world, and and God's judging, then your outlook is not good, it's not bad. And you only have one hope, it's for a rapture, I guess, or to die and go to be with the Lord. But we want our outlook to be proper. And so what Father spoke to the people owed, they heard, as we've said many times, they've heard through their mythological beliefs, their paganistic beliefs, their religiosity, and they heard what God said through that, and that's what caused them to misrepresent God, or what I say, lie on God. And there's been no shortage of people lying on God. I have lied on God in my past because I said things that came from my denominational upbringing and my belief system and believe in the King James Bible is the inspired word of God. And where it's, it's not. And I say this over and over and over where it said all scripture is inspired. It doesn't say all scripture is. It says all scripture inspired by God is profitable. But not everything in the Bible is profitable. So... 
The truth is, and I like what Kay said, we're not trying to win friends and influence people. Well, I was talking to uh, uh, Judith Lambert yesterday a little bit, and I was just telling her, I said, you know, it's so many times when you go somewhere, your, your pastors ask you not to go too far or not to say things because they don't want to offend people. Well, I don't want to offend people, but I'm not trying to influence people. I'm not trying to win friends. I'm trying to help friends. I'm trying to teach the truth of the gospel that's going to really help make them free. And if I compromise what Father has given to me, then uh, I believe revelation begins to cut off because you've got to give the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So we love people, but we're not allowing their unbelief to hold us back. We love people, but we're not worried uh, that they have to agree with us. Like I say, if you don't agree with us or you don't agree with something I teach, just put it on the shelf. That's the best thing to do and then embrace what you can. But we want to realize that Father helps us in our unbelief. And, and that's what uh, I've said this many times. It's one of the things I pray for all the time. Father, help me with what I don't know yet to believe because there's so much to know. And Father does that day to day with me as I study. So we don't need a crowd patting us on our back. We don't need people putting us on the pedestal. We're after uh, people who desire spiritual wisdom. We're after people who de desire uh, revelational knowledge and understanding that Father is nothing but love. And that's what we're after. So some people uh, ask about this series and they have me several times, no penal substitution. Uh, are you doing away with Jesus? And I say, no, we are not doing away with Jesus whatsoever. And, and we, we are saying that Jesus dying on the cross of the Pharisees' judgment, and that's who it was, it was the judgment of the Pharisees, revealed something about us that we needed to have revealed that was always true of us. Revealed something about God. He was here to tell us about our Father and reveal our Father. He was here to reveal that everything that we were, man was going through in the, uh, by following religiosity was their problem. And, and the truth is, and we know this, Jesus came to the Jews. He came to the Jews to reveal what they were doing to Pharisees, to reveal what they were doing was wrong, and they were misrepresenting our Father. So Jesus bore man's confusion. We don't deny that. Jesus bore man's mistaken identity in his death on the cross, and he bore our sense of separation from Father. But it was not God that put him on the cross. It was the Jews that did that, the Hebrew, the Hebrew leaders that did that. So the cross did nothing for us because man continued to be upright and continued to be holy. The cross did not change us who we are, but it, it should have changed our awareness if we'd really seen what took place there at the cross. And sadly, uh, people that teach penal substitution, which I did in the past, we misrepresented what really took place there at the cross. And so the only way that we will wake up to the truth is when we begin to be uncomfortable with our past theology. Uh, Don and I, back in 1988, around there, actually close to 1996, it wasn't so much we were uncomfortable with our theology, we were just uncomfortable that we wasn't getting taught. We wasn't learning. And so we had to get to that place, and when we did, then it opened us up to the door to come into a, a messenger for us at that time, which was Gary Garner, and we really began to learn. And I studied under John uh, Corson and John Cahill and Lynn Howells and Kelly Varner and, Kel and uh, the list goes on and on. We begin to learn and learn some truth. And if we hadn't got uncomfortable where we were at, we would have just stayed there. But we wouldn't satisfy. We wanted more. Isn't that right, Donna? Yes. And so the only way we'll wake up is, is we've got to get uncomfortable with our past theology to the point that we begin to question, 
is this really what God has said? So the knowledge of our Father is so expansive, it's so expansive that we can never stop learning. We never write, uh, I finished that book yesterday, No Penal Substitution, Volume 3, and I put at the end of it, I'm not going to say the end, you know, because of what I always say, this is the truth as we know it now, because the revelation gets greater and greater and greater. I was talking to Kay about it, and when she taught it the first th time, it was really, really good, but there's some things today that if she went back and redid it, which I did it myself for her and for us, she would redefine it and re-explain it better because our understanding gets greater and greater and greater, just like in the medical industry. Aren't you glad they still don't operate the way they did 50 years ago or treat people 50 years ago? I'm thankful for the technology that they have today. So <clears throat> we can see clearly that we have many sacred cows, many sacred cows. And uh, I, 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 don't, I hope I don't, but I don't doubt that I still have some sacred cows that need to be slaughtered. A sacred cow is a belief that you believe so, uh, to be so holy that you're not willing to slaughter it, if you would. You're not willing to find out that maybe it wasn't true. Hey, Terry Anderson. And so Father's word never changes. And you know, I was talking to Kay this morning. I wasn't going to say anything about it, but I decided to in Hebrews 9, 27, I was talking to her about it because a lot of people would say, well, if God didn't want Jesus to go to the cross, then why does Hebrews 9.27 say it's appointed once for man to die than the judgment? But when you look that up, the word man is anthropos. It's a carnally-minded man. It's a mindset. What we've got to do when we look at the Bible, we've got to realize everything's talking about awareness. It's not about not talking about a physically. It was appointed for a man physically to die. But God was in Jesus reconciling the world back to him. Not God to them, but back to him. And so literally that man that needed to die was that mindset. And I have to tell you, that mindset has died and continues to die in me, and I'm thankful for it. And then it says, then the judgment. Well, what judgment was that? That was the judgment that God dec dec decreed, declared, and decided from the foundation of the world. Man was to wake up to the fact that they were already holy, and they were already righteous, and they didn't have to live as carnal. So God's word never changes, but our awareness changes. So we start by seeing through a level of a child. And then we start, uh, then we go to a young man level, and then we go to the fatherhood level. And that's where we want to get. That's where we can turn around and bless other people. You can call it the cherubims. You, you can use Esther and say the star ministry. You can say most holy place priest, whatever you want to call it. But we want to get to that place where we're exponentially growing in our awareness and literally, we are at the speed of light. I think Kay used the word with me yesterday. Everything's beginning to gel. <laughs> it's beginning to come together. I was looking at Joel yesterday and other ch chapters and translating it. It just blew my mind what I was seeing. And it was so exciting, which are going to be later on. I'll, I'll teach those later on. But we must allow these sacred cows to go away. And I can't tell you what your sacred cow is. But there's all kinds of them out there today. There's devil. People still have made a devil a sacred cow. People have made a rapture a sacred cow. You know, the list can go on and on and on. So the reason we share these truths is because further on in, in uh, our book, the next few chapters, we're going to be using some scriptures where Jesus called people serpents and vipers. And he wasn't being mean to them. He was trying to show them their roots. And yet people can make those sacred cows and they preachers will get up and do that and, and they'll share that. 
So he wasn't being mean, as I said. He was showing their roots. He was showing them their religious system. He was showing them what they came out of. And when we look at the meaning of generation of serpents and vipers, that's something that generated them down. It brought them down. It brought them down to the lowland or the dust realm. Just like what we said, when Adam said he was naked, and Father said, who told you that? Have you been feeding from the teachers of the knowledge of good and evil? That's what feeding on religiosity does. It brings you down and it keeps you down and it keeps you looking to the earth. It keeps you looking to yourself and judging yourself unrighteous and unholy. And so we've got to let those sacred cows go that we've been taught all of our life. And we can do that by hearing the truth. Jesus wanted them to see how their roots were very deceptive roots. In fact, he said, you are of your father, and of course the King James put devil there, but you are of your father, the traducer. And the traducer was the law, the Mosaic law. It was anything that would cause you to self-condemn yourself, just like Adam did in the beginning. God did not condemn him. He self-condemned himself because he identified with what the religiosity teacher for teaching of the knowledge of good and evil. And so often we're teaching, and I'm speaking for K2, we're teaching, we're writing a, a post on Facebook, and people will come up to us, or write us, and tell us what they think they heard. And we listen to them and think, we didn't say that whatsoever. Well, why is that? Because they heard that through their perception. They, they heard that through the filter of the religiosity of, of, of what they've been taught all their life. And so they totally misunderstand what we, we said or what we wrote. I've had people uh, write me and say, uh, well, somebody said you don't believe in heaven, or they'll hear me teach something. They'll say, you don't believe in heaven? I never say I don't believe in heaven. I just say heaven's not a planet out there somewhere with streets of gold and houses as big as you want and catching 25-pound bass all day long and always think that we thought it was going to be. It's a spiritual realm. Heaven is inside of us. Literally, if you look at the word heaven, it says the abode of God. And Paul said, what? Know you not that you are the abode of God, that you're the temple of God? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you are. He said, in my Father's house, there are many what? Abodes. So literally, we are the abode of God. So what happens is then, is we've had translators, we've had preachers, we've had teachers, we've had leaders of denomination that look at the word and they look at the written word, which is written by men's perceptions and men's understandings and some purposely mistranslated, and they misinterpret and misinterpret what was said, and they misinterpret who God is, and literally that's what's caused all the problems that we have today. It's because we haven't known truly who our Father is and who we are. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, not one man has accurately expressed and interpreted the Father but Son. In Jesus' time, in his earth walk, he said that. And he said, nobody but son. And he's not saying, I'm the only one that can do that, but you've got to be son to do that. You've got to have a son relationship. No one can accurately tell you what my life was with my children but my son and my daughter and my other daughter. And you can call them son because there's no gender. They can accurately tell you what their daddy was like. No one else can do that. Why? Because they lived with me. They fellowshiped with me. They interacted with me every day, hours a day, all the time, and they know who I am. So if you don't fellowship with the true and living God, and the God that you worship is not the real God, 
then how can you really stand up and tell people who God is? You can't. It's all filtered through your perception. Very few people listen to the voice of the Father with intelligence. And so what he was saying here is no carnally mindful man can express and explain the Father. And we're, we have no shortage on carnally mindful people. And I was there myself. And so just like the first man didn't listen to God, Moses didn't listen to God, Abraham didn't listen to God, they, are, they heard only what they could hear because of their false perception of Father. Just like preachers today, they go on rampages and get rampant in their preaching because they think Father's angry with people. And so if God's angry with people, I'm angry with people too. And they'll go through the word and they'll find places that produces condemnation and guilt. And, and they begin to preach that. And they begin to preach that very angrily because they think that's God. It's not God. They love words that the King James uses like wrath, vengeance, anger, indignation, condemnation, judgment. And then they attribute that to our father. And that's not father. When we say father is love, and then we turn around and say all this. But what they say is, Father is love, but, and if you don't obey Father, if you don't obey the rules, then you're going to get the wrath, the vengeance, the anger, anger, the indignation, the condemnation, and the judgment. And that's totally not true. None of these words are any part of our Father. We've got to realize that. So when you read your Bibles, when you listen to preachers and they use these words and they use them literally, you've got to realize they don't know God. The God that they're worshiping is a false God. And that's very hard to say for people. Literally to say that the majority of the world, most of my life, the God that I worship is not their true and living God. But the true and living God met me where I was at. Father never left me. He never forsook me, nor would he. But, but we, we were crippled because we don't know who our father really is. So we know there are people, say, in grace circles or finished work circles who teach grace cannot work unless you do something. It's all tied into what you do. They teach the grace of God. They teach the love of God. But unless you do something, you're not going to experience the love of God. It's always like, uh, uh, I forget the names of the book, uh, Grace Work, Dudley Hall. That always impacted me many years ago. But he, he talked about we've got to quit feeding on the do-to-be laws. And that's what that is. Their, they, their messages are filled with that. And their regulations and laws, and, and Paul calls them dead works. He calls them dumb. Paul said grace was based on, if it was based, uh, based on works, it's not grace. If it's based on works, it's not holy breath of God. You can't work to get the breath of God, the spirit of God within you. You were born with that. Romans eleven six in my translation says, And since the creation of man was Holy Spirit, then there should be no due to be laws to become holy. Otherwise, if works were required, then men would not be eternally Holy Spirit because you cannot work to gain your spirit. You can't, you can't do anything to get saved. You were saved from the foundation of the world. And if you're new on here, uh, you can write me and I'll explain to you what the word saved means. I'll be teaching more of it later, but we've talked about it a lot. But it was, it's well-preserved, if you would. We were, made, we were made perfect and we never lost our perfectness. We just lost our awareness of that. So there are many people who teach grace as something completely opposite of what grace really means. Grace is our Holy Spirit. Grace is our holy breath. So uh, The Bible uses Christ in you, but literally it's your, it's your spirit. And when God created man, he breathed himself. He breathed his spirit. God is spirit. God is breath, really. 
and God breathed his breath into man, and I say that's what he graced us with his breath. And that's what we've got to understand, and we never lost it. And again, that's why Paul heard the Father say, my grace is sufficient. In other words, just draw out of your spirit. So everything else required by spiritual, uh, our spiritual life or physical life was provided for us from the beginning, and we already have it. That's why I say we pray amiss all the time when we ask God for something. When we ask God to give us bread, to give us food, to give us a nice home, to give us a raise, to give us a good husband, give everything that we ever would need, we have it. We just need to live in expectation and know that whatever is required for today, for today will be there. And we can write an entire chapter on ministry who ministers from false perceptions, retributive judgment, which is lying on Father God. What the ministers teach come from their false perception of our Father. Now in Matthew 5.38, I'm going to go through some several scriptures here. What is that? Matthew 5.38 in the King James, 38 and 39. It says, You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whatsoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, or whosoever, excuse me, turn him the other also. Thus in that verse we find a place here, like Paul said, Paul said the same thing, but Jesus was saying, they said this, but I say that. We, we've got to pay attention to those things because, because you know what? I have heard preachers preach an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I have really heard that. And I've heard him preach. If, you, if your right hand offends you, pluck it, uh, eye offends you, pluck it out. They, they don't read that Jesus said, you have heard, but I say. And that's what we've got to understand. These people did not possess or handle the true nature of the Father. So Jesus came to the Jews for all people uh, and afterwards. He, he, he came to the Jews to help them, but we can learn for this. And he, 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 began, he began to tell them, this is the way you've been living. This is what you've been believing, but this is what I say. This is what Father says. And I like something. Uh, I found a young lady that uh, is a Facebook connection with me. I've never talked to her. But her, one of her posts popped up the other day, and we, I called her up in Canada. Hi, Berlin Stanley. I called her up in Canada and uh, fellowshiped with her, and she had written something I really liked. And I asked her if I could put it in the book, and she said I could. So she posted this in April this year, and she said, Jesus came to show Israel that the God that they were worshiping didn't exist. He didn't give the rules they followed. He didn't give segregation and dissection. The God they served and uh, served uh, did not encourage an us and them mentality. Jesus came instead to show them that God was loving and full of endless compassion for all people. He came to break the image of the, uh, the, the Jews created about God. He came to be a living portrait of God. Jesus was what God had to say. I like that. Jesus, and so are we. We, we need to be what God has to say. She continued to say, he embodied love. He broke all the rules that the Jews or Israel made and showed them humanity and divinity in one and then said, follow me, which means do this like me. He lived out of love on all people. He lived out love on all people. He showed them how to love those less fortunate, how to love those suffering and how to use love to heal. Jesus showed them what love looked like. It was the Jews, he said, she said, that needed saving from their own rigid law that divided and cast judgment on anyone who didn't act like, like them and believe what they did. And that 
was the image of the God they worshiped. But it was an inaccurate, it was inaccurate to the truth of God. Jesus came to set the record straight and break the barrier they created, a barrier that is exactly the same as modern Christianity today. And that is so true. So we ask, is an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth God? Is it? It's not. It, it was their law. It was not Father. Jesus came to reveal the true nature of our Father, and that's why he could say, they said, but I say. Jesus was saying, he was saying to the contrary, that is a lie. I had a guy write on my post, one of my posts the other day, and he said, we're still under the law of sin and death. And I just want to say, that's what they say. That's not what God said. But I just don't argue with them anymore. I just put, I understand why you believe that. Sin and death? Yeah, under the law of sin and death. If you sin, you're going to die. And he still believes that. And a lot of people do because they take the Old Testament words and they think that's God and it's not God. But it says... So Jesus did not teach that if Jesus, if Jesus didn't teach what the Father, he didn't hear the Father say, he didn't do what he didn't hear the Father do, and so we shouldn't either. And as we look through the Word, we should realize, you know, we're not under that law, we're under the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yes. But, but people are stuck on the Old Testament. And so we want to learn to live out of Father's nature. <clears throat> so... Another sacred cow, and I'm not going to go through it a lot, is a, 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 a lot of people still believe in a devil. And they still think there's a devil in their life. And I've taught a lot about that. The word devil means traduce, which means to hinder somebody from their intended purpose. And another one, which is Damion, it, it means a supernatural spirit of a bad character. In other words, it was man. We are supernatural. Jesus was supernatural. Man was supernatural when they were created. We were created of God. God is supernatural. And so all they did is they, they entered into a false identity and began to function out of a bad character or a mistaken identity. And that's how Jesus used those words. But that is a sacred cow that needs to be let go. They misunderstood because, again, no carnally mindful man can see Father God correctly. And we can, we've talked this a lot in our last two books and some of this one. Uh, the, uh, the prophets, uh, like I said, Abraham, Moses... Uh, a lot of the prophetic uh, prophets and teachers, they didn't understand God. Isaiah and Jeremiah and David, they began to question their theology. We found many places where they did. David said immediately, he said, if you wanted a sacrifice, I would give you sacrifice, but you don't. He said, all you want is a man with a contrite heart. So he began to re-question his theology there. So all the way through the historical books of our Bible, we see these words, we see statements, we see events that were accredited to our Father, and they really were lying on our Father. And I don't want to lie on our Father. I want to know Father perfectly so I can represent Him every time I teach or preach or just share with people one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, Kaya Jade. So we love our Bible now because we can, through, we can see through all that stuff. All that religious stuff and all, the, all those lies and all those things that made us afraid of God and, and think that God is some being out there on the throne somewhere and we're going to have to bow before him. We can see through all that. We can see that there was never judgment coming. There was never punishment coming. We can see we never needed to get born again. We were born holy when we came out of our mothers. And we can go on and on about that. And now because of that, we are allowing the breath, the holy breath in us, to reveal this deceitfulness in our many, many Bibles, many versions, so we can see the truthful word. 
And I, you know, I just say, and, and I agree with Kay, what do you want? Do you want the written word or do you want the living word? Jesus came to reveal to us the living word. We're, to the best of our ability right now, we're revealing the living word that you can live out of. I couldn't live out of all that stuff. I couldn't do what they told me I needed to do. I, I never could satisfy the church. And when I, when I thought I did one thing, then they added something else because it wasn't by works. It wasn't by my efforts. I I, we're supposed to live out of who we know we are. So the lie seems, the, the problem is the lie seems to be more interesting to them than the truth. Many people would rather believe the lie. They, they, for some reason, they like fearful things. They would rather believe there's going to be a rapture. They would rather believe that people are going to be punished because then it makes them feel better about themselves until it comes to their own family. So yes, waking up spiritually can be very hard for people. Coming out of that carnal mindset and waking up to who we are, it's not easy. It wasn't easy for me. I mean, I thought I had all my ducks in the row, and I thought I understood God, but there came a day that I got knocked off of my high horse like Paul did, and uh, Father spoke to me, and, and it changed my life because I yielded to him. And so what it is, when you're waking up, it's the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. You know, I've seen Donna do that many times over the years as I'm beginning to teach more and more truth. She'd sit there and grit her teeth, you know, and I understand it because it, it's kind of hard sometimes. But that's the, the welling, the national teeth, the earthquakes and the thunderings and lightnings that you see in the book of Revelation. Those are good things. It's, 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 it's the, it, I would say the welling and the national teeth is questioning your theology. And you begin to understand, wow, I can't believe that I believe that. I can't believe that I've been living out without this knowledge for 40, 50, 60 years, not knowing who I am. But the good news is we're waking up and we know who we are today. And then what happens when you begin to embrace truth, you go through this beheading, which a lot of people were afraid of that. They thought we would get our heads chopped off for believing in God. It's, it's a, it's, what it is, it's a removing of the lie and a coming in of the truth. And then the twinkling of an eye is an experience where you go, wow, I have those all the time when I'm studying. Yesterday, all day long, I was just going through the word and translating scripture and just have a twinkling eye after another. And it's fabulous. And so too many people are too lazy to seek the spirit of father within them. Too many people will just say, leave me alone. I'm happy with where I'm at. But they're not. They're lying to themselves. They're not happy where they're at. If they will ascertain and seek and desire to know the true living father in spirit, then they receive a quick understanding and I believe people are receiving a quick understanding. As I said many times, years ago, when we were at Tree of Life on Southwest 4th Street and more, I'd probably taught about 60 or 70 series. It'd been several years that I'd taught. And I, I was talking to the father one day, said, how are new people going to come and catch up to where we're at? Because it was a real concern for me. Because they would walk in there and I'd be saying things that I explained to her three years ago. And the father spoke to me very firmly and said, I can give them a quick understanding. And has he not done it, Donna? Yes. And, and, and most of you out there can say you've, you've, you have received a quick understanding. I get it all the time. So it's, it's like when you, I always say this, it's twinkling of an eye. It's kind of like when you saw the one you love for the very first time. You know, I can, I can remember when I saw Donna for the very first time, uh, her beauty apprehended me. And that was a twinkling of an eye and it never left me. And so knowing your father that way, when you really see God for who he is, it apprehends you and you can't go back. There's no way you could go back. So are we criticizing people who used that who, who are, are where we used to be? 
Are we criticizing people that are still carnally mindful? No, we're not. But see, we've tasted and seen that our Father is good. We've tasted and seen that God loves everyone, no matter who it is. And we cannot turn back to that old way. We're, we, we have to proclaim. We have to teach. We have to explain the truth. We're simply saying, come up hither. Quit, quit walking on this earth all bowed down. And you know, I know people that's never been in church their entire life, and they're just as happy as they can be. They're enjoying life. They know God. They are, you know, they may say universe. They may say spirit, whatever it is, but they know there's a creator and they're happy because they're not filled up with all this religion, religious garbage. And if you've been in church all your life and all you've been taught is about an angry and a, a God needing appeasement and you've got to do something to satisfy God, you may say you're happy, but you're not because you never can please him, that God that you're worshiping. So the apostle Paul said again to be, uh, Carnally mindful is death, but to be spiritual minded is, minded is life, peace, and perfection. So the only darkness and the only death there is, is awareness. He's not saying you're a dark person. He's not saying you're a bad, it's the, the awareness. And yes, it affects the entire man. So we want those who hear us to experience this eternal perfection and peace as son of God. And as I always say, there's no gender in that, but we are all son of God. We were born son of God. We do not have to become son of God. So from the foundation of the world, Father decided, decreed, declared that all mankind was holy in his image as Jesus did and, uh, and as Jesus was and as we still are today. We're holy and we're upright. Now, in our last chapter that I taught from, uh, we discovered how Jesus left out a statement in Isaiah 61, which was the day of vengeance of our God. He was quoting Isaiah 61, and it concluded with the, that verse, and he left it out. And why would Jesus leave that statement out? Well, it was because he knew that people had a wrong perception of what the word vengeance meant. And people today believe that God is going to come, that Jesus is going to come back on a white horse someday, and there's going to be plagues over the earth, and what's going on with this coronavirus right now? There are many, many religious-minded people are saying this is one of the plagues. It's just amazing. These videos people keep sending me, and I ask if you're listening to me, stop sending me stuff on Messenger. I don't want to block you, <laughs> and I've had to block several people, but I don't want to listen to those. You know, somebody sent me one other day that I really trust him and I like him, and so I looked at it for a minute, and next thing you know, the guy said that this earth cannot sustain us anymore. Well, that's not true. This earth is going to be here forever. And it is. And so I, I just, I don't want to hear that fear stuff. And so why would Jesus do that again? It's because he knew that people really didn't understand vengeance. He knew that the people understood vengeance with a carnally mindful ideology rather than the father's thought about vengeance. So we saw where Paul wrote in Romans 12, 19, to avenge not themselves, but rather give place unto wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Then you remember the word wrath actually is orge. It means the longing for, the reaching out for, the passionate love of God. It's not the, the English uh, definition of wrath. So Paul is talking of the love and the nature of our Father. Uh, Romans 12, the translators use the wrong words to produce fear. That's what it's all about. If someone does us wrong, we must allow the nature of our Father to throw through, flow through us. That's what he's saying. We're, we're not to try to get back at them. We're just to allow Father to work through them 
what they have, uh, have come into them, which is vindication. Vindication. Allow God to pour his love out on them and do that through you. So the correct translation of Romans 12, 19 is, Dearly beloved, vindicate not yourself, but rather give place to love. To reveal your Holy Spirit, eternal love is my justice, saith the Lord. That's God's justice. And so Paul went on to write verse 20, Therefore, if a person is not living out of their spirit, nature, and character, comes to you hungry and thirsty, feed them and give them drink. Also pour out your love and allow the voice of your spirit to pour out of you living water to them. In so doing, you heap the undeceitful word, which is a live coal, of Father into their awareness, which is the true bread they seek and need. And that reminded me of Isaiah uh, 6, 6, uh, 6, 6 through 7, a live coal. And if y'all follow me very much, we've talked about that quite often. But a live coal was in the hand of a messenger, which pictures the truthful word, living water or true bread, and he touched the lips of Isaiah with a message of the live coal, and Isaiah was changed forever. He no longer was a man of unclean lips. And what we discovered, what was unclean, he would speak of the earth, woe, woe, woe. He was always pronouncing woes over the earth, and he had an unclean lip, just lips, just like we have done in the past when we speak ill things over the earth. After that happened, from then on, he would say, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with God's glory. That's tremendous revelation there. And if we're saying anything else other than holy, 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 we have unclean lips. So if somebody does us wrong, we entrust them to the spirit of father within them. We, we as father will repay them with nothing but love. And we must learn that. If somebody speaks evil, and that's why I've determined on Facebook, anytime somebody questions what I'm teaching and they're not really asking me a question, you know, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm just going to say, I understand why you believe that. And I just trust the love of God in Father to bring them up higher if they're really hungry for truth. And I'm just going to keep loving them. And that's what changes people's lives. And I experienced that with a young man uh, a month ago, and I've told you guys about it how he began to question stuff and say, it's not working for him. And I said, I understand. I didn't argue with him. So he kept listening. And next thing you know, he was apprehended. So therefore, if the written word does not agree with what Jesus revealed and declared and taught, then we must go with the living word. And Jesus was the living word. And as Stacy Ray wrote, the lady up in Canada, she said, Jesus was what God had to say. He never said anything he did not hear the Father say whatsoever. And I pray that all the time, Father, help me not say anything that I don't hear your voice speaking to my thought. Help me not do anything that I don't see you do in the Word of God. And, and again, we have to look through, through the false perceptions because if you take the King James as literal, then you're going to say, well, God killed people. God told them to kill children and all that stuff. And that was not God. That was their perception of God. Just like today, how many of you hear people say, God told me to do this and God told me to do that. And that, that wasn't true whatsoever. So one of the means to fulfill, and we saw this, you know, a lot of people think that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Well, one of the means of the fulfill is to completely define. So what Jesus did is he defined the law. He explained exactly what the law was. 
So Jesus' mandate, his mission, his ministry was to completely define judgment, to completely define vengeance, to completely define wrath, and completely define the recompense of our Father. And even though there are still many people that embrace uh, no penal substitution, there's still some confusion there because they're talking about end time events. We literally are hearing people that, that have followed uh, this no penal substitution and, and other teachings, but they're still talking about end time events. Father's only nature and Father's love for mankind, uh, there, there's, there's nothing else to talk about is the love of God. I'm not worried about the end of the world. Uh, as I said, that guy said that the earth can't sustain us anymore. Well, he needs to study his word. He needs to know his Father. It's not this planet that sustains us. It's God's word that sustains us. It's what God spoke. So Father would never do the things that currently mindful people have attributed to him. They take something like Jesus talked about in the days of old, and they project it into the future and into our time. Jesus was talking about the Jews. Jesus, and we're going to talk about generation in the next few chapters, but Jesus was talking to a generation that were living as carnal, to a generation that believed the lie, the generation that that embraced the lie that Adam passed down to all men, that they were naked. Death didn't pass down, but what produced death did was the lie that they were naked, and they didn't have to embrace that. So his nature is love. Uh, they, they take these things and they project them, and Jesus was, never, Jesus was never talking about another age. He wasn't talking about what's going to happen in the future. He was talking about what was going to happen when he, there, there was an end. I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but there was an end to a mindset. That's what took place. Mm -hmm. It was a mindset. It's appointed once for anthropos, man, carnally minded man to die. So it was their awareness. It was appointed for their awareness to die. And it was appointed for Jesus to come at that time. And he was the comforter messenger that was there for the Jews to put an end to that carnal mindset and that false belief of God. And sadly, guess who st uh, stood it right back up again? Religiosity stood it right back up. So when we know the Father sees the end from the beginning, which is who we are today, Father sees us upright, he sees us perfect, he sees us holy, he sees us sacred, and he sees us at the pearl of him. And we've always been that way. And again, there will never be an end of this planet. There will never be a man, uh, end of man. We will exist for eternity. And when our bodies cease to be able to hold us, we still exist. I believe there, there, the Bible says there's a host a host of witnesses all around us, and I believe everybody that their body has ceased to be able to hold them, they're here with us. And there will be a day, I believe with all my heart, that we will wake up and we will see them. And people have many, many times. I've told you, and for new people on here, I've worked in the funeral industry for 23 years. I prearranged funerals for people, and I've talked to a lot of people that's lost their loved ones, and I can tell you, I've heard thousands of stories about people feeling their loved ones, hearing their loved ones, and seeing their loved ones, and I don't doubt, doubt it whatsoever. I've heard my father speak to me a couple of times and encouraged me and helped me. And I believe they're here with us. So uh, death, I believe death will be swallowed up and we will live as immortal. Paul said we must, this, this mortality must put on immortality. Immortality is a liable to die mentality. That's what he's talking about, that mentality. And a, a mentality can cause physical death, right? Paul said 
because we don't discern our body. We don't know who we are. We don't know that we have the health of God in us. Many are weak, many are sick, and many die needlessly because of a mentality. And we got to continue. It's our awareness that's killing us. It's what we are aware of. What you're mindful of all the time is what you project out. So this earth will always sustain us. Look and see what time it is. So next, uh, there's another sacred cow, which is the belief that I said a little while ago, that we have a literal last day ahead of us. There are so many people that think this whole earth is going to be destroyed. And uh, all kinds of stuff I'm hearing out there. And, and so I'm going to read you some verses and we're going to go through this. I'd like to finish this chapter if I can. I don't know, but I should be able to. John 6:40. <clears throat> and this is the will of the Father that sent me, that everyone which discerns clearly and pays attention to the Son and believe on him may possess or handle everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Raise him up at the last day. And every place that you see the word have, if you just read have, you would think that we don't have it, right? I came, Donna, so you could have something. And you would, you would think that that means you don't have it. But it actually says possess and handle. So I've come, every, I've come that everyone that would believe, that would put their whole faith in what I'm coming to show you, that you can possess and handle your everlasting life. You already have everlasting life. But we need to possess it. We need to handle it. It's just like I've said many times. If I send a million dollars to you and it's in your and I have it deposited in your checking account and I call you and I said, are you enjoying that money? And they'll say, no. And I'll say, why? And they said, because I don't have it. Well, you do have it. You need to go possess it and you need to handle it. Experience. As, right. And so all of our life, we've heard we have Christ in us and we, our Jesus is in us. And we've always wondered, well, how, where's he at? How do I, you know, and not knowing what to do, but it's, it's, we don't have Jesus in us. We have holy breath in us. We have the same mind that was in Jesus. We have the very same spirit that was in Jesus. And we need to learn how to possess our spirit and handle our spirit and let our spirit be our central, our driving force of us. And that's God inside of us. So these two verses, uh, John 40 and then 44, 44 says, no man can come to me except, uh, John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will rise him up in the last day. So there again, people look at this. Jesus is talking to the Jews. He's talking to the people that day, but they want to project it into the future. So these two verses using last day brings great confusion to people, again, because they think it's coming. They think last day means the world's going to perish. The world's going to go away. What they really need to know is what Jesus What's on Jesus' mind when he said, raise up in the last day? What did last day mean to Jesus in his day? Not in our day. Or when did Jesus see the last day coming forth? We need to ask those questions, but we don't because we think there's something future. We've always been taught to put everything off in the sweet by and by or in the future. So five times in scripture, Jesus used the phrase last day and three times he said in that day. So there's eight times Jesus spoke of a day and this day, they all pertain to that day, not the day that we live in. Eight is also a number for new beginnings, right? So if you had a new awareness in your life, would you not have a new beginning? You would, you would you have a new awareness and actually beginning is God. In the beginning, God, it literally means in God, God did something. So we would have a new awareness of God and that would change our lives. 
So uh, what, what the so-called end time prophets has done is relocate what Jesus said by taking it into our current day or going into the future. Not only have they taken those days out of context, but they said along with the last day in our future, there's gonna be a whole lot of anger, a whole lot of wrath, a whole lot of indignation, there's gonna be plagues and so forth. And I say not so. They attribute it to God and it's not true because God is nothing but love. Nothing. So what did he mean? When I'm he getting there, baby. <laughs> I'm getting there. So the day Jesus was talking about was not a period of time. So it's amazing how we're still over 2,020 years from Jesus' time of teaching the Jews. And there are so many who are teaching the end of the world events and they don't understand what Jesus was saying. Now, creation has neither beginning nor end, right? Because there's no time in the spirit. God is eternal. We are eternal. We're eternal beings. And so instead of that day, it's literally, it's, we've got to understand what the symbolical meaning of it is. Human time is marked by a series of progressive revelations in which successive comforter teachers are sent to help people. The coming of each of these messengers is seen as a day of judgment uh, to the believers, the previous beliefs. So literally a judgment of their previous beliefs. I have had messengers come to me and kind of judge my previous belief. One was Gary Garner, then John Cahill, and then other ministers that have come into my life and books and teachings and things that have caused me to judge or to redefine, if you would, my previous beliefs. So the coming of each of these messengers is seen as a day of judgment. Uh, and we have a choice. We can accept the new messenger's message to us and enter into the awareness of heaven or we can uh, and believe, or we can criticize the messenger and enter, enter into an experience of hell by denying it. So if somebody comes to me with a major truth and it's my sacred cow, but they come and tell me the truth and I embrace that, then I rise up, when I say heaven, I rise up into a higher awareness. And my remember, our awareness is what, whatever you're aware of, that affects your life. So I want my awareness to be higher. But if I deny that and I resist that, then it sinks me down further into the experience of hell and hell is living without the knowledge of Father. Hell is living without truth. So, what we do is we, we, rather than progressing spiritually, we continue to go further and further down in our carnal awareness and it distances us from our awareness of our Father. That's why people say, I can't feel Father, I can't hear Father because we're too carnally mindful. I remember years ago, Donna used to say, God said this and God said that to her. And Donna spent a lot of time meditating, a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time talking to the Father. I was working, trying to make a living, uh, trying to do the church work and all that, and I, I really wasn't hearing God because I was carnally mindful. I was busy about carnal things instead of being busy about spiritual things. So the day Jesus talked of has much more meaning than a day marked by 24 hours. Spiritually speaking, the, the word day is symbolic of periods of manifestation. The word day. Periods of manifestation and a calling to come up higher in your awareness. That's what it is. So you should know what the last day right there is. The day that you finally wake up, the day that we finally fully wake up to the awareness of God, that's our last, that, that's the point where we understand. And yes, there'll be more and more and more to know the Father, 
But literally, we become fathers ourselves. We become fathers to people. We become uh, comforter messengers where we can really turn around. See, I don't, I'm not in that day anymore where I had to labor and try to figure out the word and be frustrated and spend hours and hours of studying just to get a 15-minute sermon. I'm telling you, I'm in a day where it just flows and flows and flows. But I still have more to go. I still have more understanding to go. I need to understand to the point that this uh, mortal immortality will swallow up this mortal being here. And it, and it is. It's, it, but it's from glory to glory. It's from precept upon precept that we see these things. So the day is, what is the day filled with? Light, right? The night is dark. The day is filled with light. And so it's, a re it's revelation knowledge. So during Jesus' time of ministry, he was the only person in the world that shined with the light of God. He was the only person in that world, right there where the Jews were and the Hebrews were, in that world right there, he was the only one that was fully aware of who he was. He was the only one who stayed in his original birth state. And I shared, I think, last week. If I didn't, I'll share it again. The, where, where it talks about he was the only begotten son, you know, people teach that, that he was the only son of God and we're not sons of God and we have to become the sons of God and all that. But the word begotten means stayed in his original state. He was born holy. He was born righteous. He was born perfect and he never left that. He was born with a mind of God. He never left that because his mother kept him away from religiosity. He did not get taught by the Jews. He was kept from them until the day was appointed for him to present himself to them, and that was when he was 12 years old. And he was brilliant beyond imagination because he learned from, uh, I believe, I believe he learned from messenger comforters that came in his life and taught him. And he was totally attuned to the Father. So during Jesus' time of ministry, uh, he, he, he showed us God, but he also showed his son. He showed us how we're supposed to live. He showed us how we're supposed to tread about in life. Not that, oh, I'm going to go walk on water or I'm going to do this or that. But he showed us how we're supposed to live with people and that we are supernatural. And that no weapon formed against us can prosper. The fact is there are no weapons. There are no enemies to us. People think that we have enemies, but there's no enemies. The only enemy is our wrong understanding right up here. As Brother Garner used to say, what's in between our ears? If, if we have a belief system that's not in union with God, then that becomes an enemy to us. But he stayed in that position. And mankind was in his father's morning star, but they failed to continue to live at the morning star as the day star. So Peter referred, and we mentioned this last time, to a day dawning in man that uh, the light bearer in us will rise in our thoughts and feelings and conscious awareness. The day star, that's our spirit, that's our, our voice of God. It's rising within us and it's changing our thoughts, it's changing our feelings, it's changing our outlook. The New Testament is a new outlook. It's a, it's a new, 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 new way of living it's, that's always been available to us. It's not just coming because it's new, but it's new to us. So the word day also represents a state of mind, a state of mind uh, in which spiritual intelligence dominates. A state of mind where you're living and moving and having your being out of holy breath, out of spirit, out of, out of God. And the idea of the day of light is our dispensation of intelligence. And we need to be intelligent, right? Yes. Well, I've told y'all before, the Old Testament word for obey is dhamma, and it means to listen with intelligence and be able to repeat that which was said. But literally it means to listen with intelligence. So 
the intelligence is spiritual intelligence, not carnal intelligence. And I'm impressed with a lot of carnal knowledge out there, but I, I'd rather hear spiritual knowledge. But the truth is, all knowledge comes from God. Amen. All knowledge. What these doctors are doing, all, and if people would depend more and more on Father and realize that they are in tune with the central mind, if you would, it's just like our uh, telephones and our computers and on the internet. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's, I call it a central computer, but it's all over the world, and we're in tune with that. I, I can tap into information over in Australia and in Canada, all over the world with my little phone, and just type what I want and find things. And literally, how much more powerful is the mind of God? How much more powerful is spirit? The, the very mind, the very spirit, the very power that formed the universes. How more, it's so powerful, and yet we have that, and we have access to that. And so the true day of rest is the consciousness of universal peace that constitutes the kingdom of heaven, which is knowing you're righteous, and the joy and the peace and the perfection of mind that comes out of that. The peace is eternal, and when, when man becomes conscious, that's their day of rest. That's the last day. That's when you can finally rest. And you, you, have, you have understanding, you have knowledge, and you're at rest with God, and you're not struggling, and you're not fighting again. So the last day, John 6, 39 and 40, is the highest degree of understanding. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, was he not? He was in tune with the Spirit, and he had a high degree of understanding. Father just downloaded to him everything that Jesus came to reveal, and then he wrote it signified. In the book of Revelation, it says signified. In other words, he explained the Old Testament. He explained who, uh, G, what Jesus did. And literally, a case teach it, he even explained the human body. And it was all signified. And we've got to understand the signs. So the Lord's Day is a state of mind in which we have released all carnal sensory knowledge, thoughts and activities, and we rest in the realization that we are one with God. When you really know that you know that you're one with God, you're one with the mind of spirit, and you have you know, what the Bible said, the mind of Christ, you literally, you, you, you're in tune with Father, that's your last day. That's when you really wake up to who you are and you can enter into perfect rest. So the Lord's day is the day of illumination then. That's the Lord's day. It's the day of illumination. We're in the, in the Lord's day in our generation. There's great illumination here and it's coming brighter and brighter and brighter. So with all this in mind, we can see uh, we can say with assurance, the disciples had no awareness of what Jesus was talking about. They had no clue whatsoever in the earth walk with him. They didn't know. They, they, he, when he spoke of the last day, he was speaking of that period, period of manifesting Father. He was speaking of that period of spiritual activity around their lives in that day. So we know they were spiritually ignorant to the things that Jesus was saying, and we just, Jesus told them he had to leave. And the reason he had to leave is because he didn't want them spending all their life depending on him. I've said this many times. If Jesus was here and whatever his body looked like at, at that time, if he was here, everybody would be trying to get to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so because we don't see him physically, then what do we do? We pray to him and we ask Jesus to do things for us because that's all we paid attention to is what he did and not what he revealed. Most of the sermons is about how he healed the sick, he, he turned the fish, uh, uh, the, he, he multiplied the bread, 
And all, all I heard about is what he did. I never heard about what he was re revealed in my younger years. Did you, Donna? And most of you didn't either. And so he knew he had to go away so we would become who he showed us we are in experience. So he said, I've tried to share these things to you and you can't understand them. And he also said, don't be sad. I will send you many more comforter teachers. He didn't say, I'm gonna send you another comforter. The word another is many. And the word comforter is teachers and leaders and guiders of truth. They're anointed messenger teachers who have seen something. And that started out with Apostle Paul and then John the Revelator and then many, many more after that. And they're here today. And then what do we do? We're here to lead you. We're here to guide you. We're here to teach you. And if you don't have a comforter teacher in your life, you need to find one. You know, and everybody can teach something, but there are people that are anointed to grind out the word, to transcribe, uh, translate the scripture, to, to come up with a true understanding of it and help people and explain the truth that will make us free, that will help us rise up for our last day. And he told him, he said, you are not ready to hear me. And I just say to people watching right now, and I know most of you that are watching because you're on here all the time, are you ready to hear? I'm ready to hear. I'm ready, I'm ready for my last day, and I believe I'm in my last day. My last day of struggling, and, and I've been in it for a long time. And this awareness is getting greater and greater. So now we can read in closing, we can read John 6, 40 and 44, and other verses where it's recorded Jesus saying, in the last day I will rise you, him up as a rising up in our greater spiritual awareness. That's what it is. That's the last day. It's not the end of the world. The planet's not going to blow up. You know, our plagues aren't going to kill the whole world. You know, people say the world is going to cleanse itself of man. You know, I listen to all those liberal people on TV and the Hollywood, and they, they just say we're an enemy to the earth, and they think the earth would be better off without us. And I'm going to say, well, if you, truly want to, if you believe that, why don't you go first? <laughs> you know, if that's what you really believe. It's all a bunch of carnal Babylonian babble. The end, the last day, is rising up. So the following is what we understand to be true of John 6.40 and the other verses. Jesus spoke of, of, of us being raised up in the last day, and he said this. He said, And this is the will of the Father of me, that everyone that perceives, discerns, and has knowledge of their kinship as son and puts their trust in what I came to teach and reveal may hold in possession ability and permanency of their spirit life perpetually, and they will stand up themselves as I exist in perfect spiritual awareness as son. That, our brother and sister, is the last day that we desire, or we desire to stand up. And that's why Paul said it's high time that we wake up. And there's many, many verses in the Bible where I've found words that talk about standing up from a life of non-existence. When we stand up, and we stand in everything that our Father has revealed to us, then that's your last day. And I know most of you on here are having a last day experience, and so we need to help people. We need to get these things down. We need to go out and share with people that are afraid of the last day and show them in the Bible what this is really talking about. It's not talking about the end of the world. Amen? Mm -hmm. So we continue to speak over you guys for protection. God is your health. You have divine health inside of you and that this virus will, will not attach itself to you, and we're still speaking for it to cease and desist. We believe uh, America is going to open back up again, and other countries, I believe we've learned some things. I believe we've learned that we need to be self-sufficient and not depend on other countries to take care of us, and it's not saying that we're not one with the world. You know, I was watching a, 
a really liberal program last night, one world and one government and all that. You know, I don't understand why they want that, but we can take care of ourselves right here and we will always take care of other people. But nations don't need to be dependent on other nations. We need to be dependent on our Father. And our Father has said, you have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that counts the whole world. Amen? So we love you very much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your comments. Look forward to reading them. And you have a great day. And don't forget to tune in at 4.30. Uh, I never can think Eastern time or Western time, Central time. But make sure and tune in to Kay today. She's got some real good uh, information and revelation to teach you. So bless you very much. Bye-bye.